If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. You've probably heard that you are the average of the five people that you hang out with. Today, I want to encourage you to stop and reflect for a moment. Who are you actually spending your time with? Are these supportive, encouraging people that are motivated action takers and that share a common dream to live a life that's full and fulfilled? Or are they more unhappy, unmotivated, and stuck? And pulling your energy, energy, energy vampires, as we like to say, or are they somewhere in, in the middle? Either way, whoever you surround yourself has a, has a ripple effect on the results in your life. So the good news is that surrounding yourself with high achieving, motivated, happy people that, that are moving toward the best version of themselves will affect you and accelerate your success. How do I know this? I've been running mastermind groups for over eight years now, and I see it day in and day out. The most important element of your success is who you surround yourself with. So what are you doing about that? And that's the whole point of this show, listening to people that have a different perspective, people that are successful, people that maybe you want to get to know and reach out to, and give you their contact information. However, when you're ready to truly start your path toward financial freedom and fulfillment in your life, then find out what mastermind fits for you. All you have to do is to go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call. Jump on a call with one of my directors of opportunity and then find out if it's a fit for you. Hey everybody, welcome back to another session of the podcast. I'm your host, Rock Thomas, and I have a really fascinating guest today. He would describe himself in one word, passion. His accomplishments have been well-recognized all over the business community. And in 2010, he was awarded the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year. His companies have also been featured for six years running in such prestigious industry lists as Entrepreneur 500, Inc. 5000, Top Global and Franchise 500. Now, what did he create? Well, with his passion and his awareness of what people need in the industry, he is the type of guy who's gone into fitness and he created Snap Fitness. It's an affordable 24-7 results-driven gym. It differentiates itself from the expensive big box experience. And today it has 2,500 locations in 26 countries. Now, Peter Taunton, who is the pioneer, who is the CEO of Lyft Brands, didn't stop there. He went on to acquire also Nine Round, Ferrell's, Yoga Fit, Steel Fitness, Fitness On Demand, and together, all of those create the world's largest wellness franchise organization with over 6,000 locations. That's right, 6,000 locations serving over 165 million workouts and counting. So his ability to figure out how to match what people need with an ever-changing society has allowed him to be massively successful. He also believes that success is 10%. What happens to you and 90% 
how you react to it. I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation with this incredible entrepreneur. So please help me welcome a very cool conversation with CEO of Lift Brands, Peter Taunton. And welcome. So excited to be here with you. I love doing your introduction because there's so much meat on the bones with somebody like you, a serial entrepreneur and a person who believes that, you know, 90% of life is how you respond to what's happening. And you're a passionate guy, all things I can, you know, subscribe to and my listeners as well. So welcome, Peter. Great to have you here. Hey, Rock. Thank, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this interview as well. So it's been my pleasure. So a lot of people dream of being you or of creating what you've created. And from the outside, it looks probably really sexy. But tell us about some of the trials and tribulations, some of the parts of you as a leader. A lot of people, I think, we're going through tough times right now. We're witnessing the lack of leadership in the world. But to create a vision like you created, to communicate that with people, to attract talent, those are all things that people could really learn from. I'd love to hear what your insights are on that. You know what? That's a great question, and uh, especially right out of the gate. So for me, I, I am one of those few guys, Rock, that that I feel like I've I've had the opportunity to live the American dream. I literally, and we spoke about it earlier, on you know working in the health and wellness space. You're changing lives every day, mm -hmm. and uh, and if you do things right, you can actually make a living at it. And uh, so for me, I my entire life, I've been in the wellness space for 35 years. It wasn't all up and to the right in terms of growth, right? I mean, and I, I, I have a lot of friends and I do a lot of consulting and, and I'll tell you, anyone that's experienced any level of success, they'll tell you that in times of adversity is when the real growth occurs. And so you can't be afraid to fail, number one. And, and number two, you got to appreciate those down moments and where you've got to dig in and lean in and, and figure out really innovative ways to plow through um, unique circumstances, not, not all that different than what we're experiencing today with COVID. I mean, right. we've had, we got literally, literally 70%. I've got probably 2000 locations closed right now, been closed for 90 days. Wow. That's character building moments for everyone. And I empathize with those franchisees because they, they didn't plan for it. You know, no. one, you, you wake up one day, you know, you, you work your ass off, you, you, you bet the farm on owning your own business in a space that you're passionate about right. and you actually get over that hump of having enough memberships to now where you're making money. And then out of the blue one day, the government says, Hey, by the way, you need to close your doors. And yeah. I think if anyone, I think if people had a chance to take a step back and realize that it could be three or four months before they got to reopen them, I think they would have had a little more hesitation, a little bit more, more moment of pause, but let's face it. Everyone was, was supportive of it, myself included, early on to say, look, we don't know what the hell this is. We need to do the, the right thing. And so let's shut our doors and be safe because we don't know. Early on, the media ran with this thing, as you know, like it was a death sentence. People thought it was Armageddon, right? Yeah. And today, we know so much more. Today, it's, it's a shame. If your business is not open today, it's an absolute shame. I mean, literally, like 0.2%. 0.2% of people that get COVID today die, all right? And I think that's a statistic that people need to understand. There's people that are at, at risk, at health risk right now for, um, for, for the flu. I mean, heart disease, all of it. So you can't, you can't live your life in a bubble. And uh, anyway, so don't get me started on that tangent, Rock. I could talk for <laughs> hours on it, but I'm telling you straight away, it's those kind of moments as, a, as an entrepreneur 
that I completely empathize with those, with those business owners who feel like they were completely blindsided. They, they're flat, they're out of money. They, have, they never thought that they would need to have you know, four or five months of dry powder in the bank. And, and when they had to lock their doors, they couldn't charge the members. The bills keep coming, life keeps going. And you know, before you know it, you're bankrupt. And that's where we see yeah. a lot of today. And yet, when we look at the really good fundamentals, uh, principles of success, people should have three to six months of contingency in their businesses. That's a principle right. that is available. Yeah. But most people wait and hope and hope things get easier. So now I think this has exposed a lot of people where it comes to either your, your physical fitness, if you're, if you're at risk, it's time to maybe level up. And if you're financially not behaving well, it's time to now level up. I know when we went through 2008, I was not prepared to take advantage of the situation. And I promised myself I would have dry powder and cash in the bank in preparation. And, and fortunately, the stock market has been very good to me in the last couple of weeks because of that yeah. reason. Right. So for all those people listening that you weren't prepared for this one, guess what? There's going to be another one in 10 or seven years. And File away the, the learnings and get prepared and take advantage of it. And, and, that's, and that's a true statement, Rock. You know what? I think people today, I think that as we come out of COVID and we're certainly moving in that direction, I know at least in the United States anyway, we're moving in that direction and, and it's getting to a point where the states, where the local governors have not opened up their states yet, they're starting to get held accountable for that decision as yes. well. So yes. let's assume that everyone's going to come out the other side. I think that we're going to come out of this such a different country, number one. I think, I think with this, I mean, for, for, and you, I, I don't know how old you are, Rock, but I mean, we all felt, I felt the 2003 dot com crash. I felt the 2008 uh, real estate crash and now COVID. And COVID dwarfs the other two. We've never been in a situation where the entire economy, global economy, like a screeching halt. You didn't, I mean, if somebody had told me that, I would say there's no way that's possible. It, it did. I mean, it happened. So I think that people are going to come out of this much wiser, much better prepared to realize that, look, when things go bad, it can get really, really bad. So you've got to, that dry powder that you and I have been talking about. It's critical because with, without cash flow, we'll put it this way, with no cash flow and no dry powder, you're a nervous wreck. It's yeah. emotionally draining on you. Yeah. And especially if you if you have children or other dependents on you, it just exacerbates itself. It's just a bad situation. So, yeah, know, I agree. It's it's just fortunate. And you know, the good news is is it, if you can come out of this and start saving money and really come up with a plan, the next opportunity like this comes around, along, you're gonna you're gonna be able to capitalize on some of it. No question about it. Yeah, hundred percent. Let's go back a little bit to the first snap that you opened. And how you cast that vision to be able to get so many people enrolled and excited about it. You know what? The first snap that I opened, I didn't open it under the pretense that I was going to have thousands of stores. Okay. I, um, I, in the 20 years prior to starting Snap Fitness, now Snap Fitness, I founded 15 years ago. 20 years prior to that, I owned and operated a health club. Well, I had one individual who worked with me and he was such a loyal employee, great, absolutely great guy. So when I sold the company, um, I, I created a, 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 an employment 
a contract for him and the new owners where he was well taken care of. But the one thing that he couldn't adjust to was the culture change. The dynamics of that company changed dramatically. So he came to me and said, Peter, would you ever consider building a club? And I said no to him probably four or five times. But then finally one day I'm thinking about it. I, I said, you know, rather than having this big club with indoor pools and aerobic classes and racquetball courts and these big clubs, big clubs equal big overhead. And I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing that. And that's what got my mind thinking about what if I cut out the pool and studios? And before I knew it, this club went from, from 40,000 square feet down to about four or five. Instead of having 50 employees, I literally, I had two. So I, I started thinking about the unit level economics. And so I, I built one club. And when I built that club and I had him run it, um, the, I sold enough memberships in 90 days to cash flow that business for the year. That to me as an entrepreneur, that was eye opening. I was pleasantly surprised because I, the risk, the risk adversity that I had, it, the, the risk had evaporated in a very short period of time. The capital requirement was literally one tenth of the cost to open up a, a, a larger facility. So when I, when, when the club took off, I said, I want to do another one. That's the serial entrepreneur in me. I said, let's do another one. And the first club I opened was in an urban market, a bigger city. And then I built one in a mid-sized market. I said, I want to know how this works in the mid-sized market because mid-sized market, the overhead tends to be less. The club performed the same way. Now, if you can imagine, Rock, at that point, I'm thinking, this is a pretty good deal. Um, my, my invested capital to get a store open was literally about a hundred grand of cash. And then I would finance the balance for about another hundred to 150. And within three, four months, this thing was kicking five, 10,000 a month of cash flow to the bottom line, right? So you start talking return on cash, my ROI cash on cash, it was like a hundred percent, right? Wow. Well, then I said, I'm gonna build another one. Well, the guy that I, that I brought on, I mean, he's, he's all in, right? He's thinking great. Peter just keeps building these clubs. Well, I built one in a town of 3,500 people. And, and when I put that one in there, that was really the telltale for me to know how small can small be. And I put it in this town of 3,500. And the beautiful part about it, Rock, is the rent was $1,000 a month. And that included utilities in that little town. Instead of needing 250 members to break even, I needed 150. And I always tell people, it's not what you take in the front door, it's what you take out the back door. And that's a great big lesson. I, people all the time, they want to talk to me about business. Hey, Peter, I do, you know, I do a million a year in revenue. I always say, what, what, what falls to the bottom line? I mean, hell, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a pertinent, it's a really um, relevant question to, to the business. And that club performed. And at that time, Rock, when that third store opened up and performed the same level, I knew I had a tiger by the tail. And in fact, I've been, I've been quoted in, in saying that back then. I said, you know what? I, I've got a tiger by the tail here. I've got a product that's relevant. The consumer loves it. And when I went to the market, I didn't want to be just another me too. I said, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you 24-hour access. You belong to one. You belong to them all. No contract. And so I put my money where my mouth is. And I, I was doing no contract when no one was. All right? So... It, I said, look, I'm not going to be another me too, which is a great lesson for some of your entrepreneurial listeners out there is, look, there's nothing wrong with going to market with a product and taking an existing product and making it better. There's nothing to be ashamed of that. 
I mean, how many times have we seen something and we say, you know what, I would do it a little bit differently and, and go do it, right? And, and that's what I did. So, you know, here I sit, here I sit now, today, um, going through the 2008. I, I opened my first club in 2003. I built, a, I built a small empire at that time. I had private equity calling my phone every week, wanting to invest and give me capital. Wow. I, didn't need, I didn't need capital because I was flush with cash. Right. right. And, um, and, but then I did the, the next prudent thing, which is very important is I took some chips off the table. So I did, I was doing about in five years into this thing, I was doing about 5 million of EBITDA and I sold 40% of my company for 47, 47 million. So, and that, that money left, that number went to yours truly. Right. So at that point for me, it was game over, meaning I had enough money there to support myself and the next five generations of my, of my lineage. If I just did think, if I was just smart with it. Right. right. And then I grew it from five to 20 million of EBITDA over the next five years. And I did it again. All right. And I sold 20%. So I gave up control of the company, which is all, that's another story in itself. But the bottom line, when I'm, when I'm counseling entrepreneurs, I talk to them about, a gradual exit along the way. Mm -hmm. You don't want to ride your business to the crescendo and then ride it down like a toboggan on the other side. You know what I mean? Take yep. cash off the table because that's what the risk, risk, reward, return on investment, you have to do it. So yep. today in, in 2008, when the real estate market crashed, I had about 10 million cash, no debt, and I was off to the races, right? And when everyone else was hunkered down in their foxholes, I was standing up picking, picking things off. Right. So, so today, you know, so what, what does that mean today? Well, I was able to take a company and grow it with the, the first time I sold it, it had a hundred, hundred million dollar valuation in five years later, it had a $200 million valuation. Uh, and I did it through some acquisition, creating new brands. Today I have roughly six brands, really three of them predominantly, but I have, I have about 6,000 locations or licenses in 28 countries. So, I'm living proof anything is possible. I mean, I grew up in a two-room schoolhouse, right? I mean, so I'm the youngest of seven kids. I grew up just literally middle class. My dad was just had a small grocery store in our hometown. So I tell people, look, I'm living proof that the American dream is alive and well, but it's not easy. You got to have the heart and the stomach for it, but it can be done. It really can. It's an awesome story. Very, very authentic. So a couple of questions for you, um, no particular order. What did you do with the money when you cashed out? Where did you redirect it? I, well, I redirected it. I, um, I spent some on myself. Um, at the time I was married. So I built a, a, you know, a beautiful lake home, at, with the, with the home that I'm in right now. Um, and, uh, and I invest a lot of real estate. I mean, today I probably have 40 million in real estate that's grown in it. I'm, I'm a coupon clipper. And what, what I really love about that is I love, you know, I, I, I create cash flow from rental properties, right? So it doesn't matter what my investment portfolio is doing. I've got the other traditional investment portfolio, which does its thing. I never dip into it. Okay. And, and as you know, we, we talked about that. The market's been great the last five years. I mean, it's been outstanding. So you have that working for you, but you generate enough cash flow to where you never have to look back at that. That's growing. Your cash flow is growing. So I'm, you know, I've always been very conservative. I believe me, 
I'm conservative at heart. I mean, I'm a, I'm a blue jean t-shirt kind of guy and um, I have a great lifestyle. I have a, I have a Falcon 50 jet. I have a yacht in my, my home in Miami. I live in a penthouse in Miami. So I've got a, I've, I've been able to acquire, you know, crap, right? Things that we, that we probably, you know, don't need, but along the way we you know, what, for me, I'm just speaking for myself with my own little insecurities, you know, these little justifications that I buy along the way. And, and, and it just is what it is. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm still that kid that grew up in the Truman schoolhouse. I'm, right. I'm really compassionate with people. I really love to help the underdog. I do a lot in philanthropy. Um, so, you know, today my lifestyle, my life is a little bit different than it was even five years ago. Very cool. How much do you own still of the, of the whole kit and caboodle? I, I still own about 40% of okay. lift brands. Um, and, you know, but, but I don't control it. I stepped down as the, as the CEO a year ago, January, which is a new, that that's a surreal experience. When right. Um, but I mean, it's the right thing to do. Right. And for me, if I, I'm not a very good backseat driver. Right. So for me, if I'm not flying the plane, I, I really don't, I have no interest in being there. So right. Right. And I'm off to, you know, other things, but, uh, how old are you now? An amazing, amazing, uh, journey. And, you know, my journey is still, my story is still being written. How old are you now? I'm 58. Okay. Same as me. Very yeah. cool. Um, let's go back to the, the whole vision part and, and the creative thinking as you process, you open one, then you open up another, because I think a lot of people underestimate the amount of time that entrepreneurs like yourself spend in imagination, creative thinking, critical thinking, meditating, contemplating, visualizing, all of that. I'd love to hear a little bit, take us back scenes into your processes around that. Well, when I, when I was creating the concept, the concept had been under our noses without anybody really realizing it. The hotel gyms sat there and they were not staffed. You opened it with your room key. Right. And so, you know, when I started the, 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 the Snap Fitness product, you could, you could staff your gym literally 15 to 20 hours a week, literally 15 to 20 hours a week. People would come in, they would grab their workout and they would leave. 90% of my members lived within two miles of the club. So that was the product and, and the consumer loved it. So as I was creating my concept, I, I clearly, I couldn't have swimming pools. That's too big of a risk. Okay. So I didn't have swimming pools. I didn't have hot tubs where you could have problems. I kept my, I kept my product very relevant and very efficient. So I had lots of cardio equipment, mm -hmm. a lot of diversity there. So when people would say, Peter, do you have aerobic classes? I would say, I don't have aerobic classes, but I also, and, and, and this is what you have to get good at. You have to get good at taking, taking, making lemonade. So when people would say, Peter, do you have aerobic classes? I would say, no, I don't have aerobic classes, but I also don't have a schedule that you need to follow. And I say, look at my cardio offering here. I've got diversity. You could do a different piece of cardio every day of the week if you wanted to. So I'm, I'm really big on cross training. And, and you know what? One, one day you might bike. One day you might do the step mill. Next time you might be running on the treadmill. So I show that. And then I would show my resistance equipment and, and then my free weights. So those were my three areas. And I say, look, I've got everything in here that you will need to get fit. And, and, and I tell people, hey, look. 
here's the reality with me. Number one, I'm going to give you an affordable product, right? So it was like 30, 34, $35 a month. I'm going to give you 24 hour access, but here's the coup d'etat. You don't have, I'm not going to lock you into some 12 month contract. You, this is month to month. And if I don't earn your business, earn your trust every month, it's really easy. You just quit now. And, but I say for those of you who are passionate about fitness and you know, this is something you're going to want to do long-term. If you want to commit to 12 months, if you want to prepay 12 months, I appreciate that. You, you pay 12 months, I'll give you three months free, right? So some, you know, probably 15, 20% of my members prepaid their dues because it, it, it brought their cost average down. So that's the product. I wanted it to scream value. And I wanted, to, I wanted to make sure that the product I put forth on the market from day one, that people could get excited about it. And clearly they did. So you kept on listening to the client, observing, watching, adapting, and reframing what their needs were. And you really kept it fundamental, right? Simplistic. Fundamental. Yeah. And here's the other, the other part, Rock. When you, when you have franchisees, you've got to create a playbook that people can follow. Okay. Yeah. The testament of a, of, a, of a beautiful franchise is when I can take a bus driver, a stay-at-home mom, a, an entrepreneur, I can take anyone and I can teach them how to fish. And you do that by, and I don't think anyone's done it better than McDonald's. Okay. The McDonald's experience. And, and I left nothing to chance. I'm a real detail guy, really detail orientated. So when, when, I would, when I would build a club, even right down from the signage, here's where this sign goes. So they would have a sign graph. Here's all your signage and here's where they go, right? Here's your lighting configuration. I would lay the equipment out. So, you know, the semi didn't just come up with a bunch of equipment and you're over there thinking where you want to put it. You gave the guy a, a floor plan and he, and he would move it exactly where you want it. Everything. It was a well-oiled machine. And I tell you what, a testament to that, a validation to that, Five years after I started it, one year, in one year, I opened 377 new stores. Wow. I was opening more than one Snap Fitness store a day, okay? And here's the beautiful part. If you had walked into my office, you wouldn't see people running around with their hair on fire, all yeah. right? Everybody. So everyone would stay in their lane. So I right. always figured myself as the head coach, mm -hmm. and it's my job to make sure everybody does their job and they stay in their lane. Right. And the beautiful part is when I was building three or four clubs a month, that same, those same systems and processes was the same when I was doing one a day. I would just plug in more human resources into each lane to manage the, the load, if that makes right. sense. Yeah. And it works. It works. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So you also went on and acquired some other brands as well after you got going. What was that like? You picked up some yoga? Yeah, I did. You know, I bought a, I bought a, an interest in a company called Nine Round, and and when I bought that company, it was a, a there was the, the the Hudson family that uh, that had created it. They were the inventors of it, and they they were just really passionate about what they were doing. And I remember I flew down to South Carolina one day, and I said, "Hey guys, I've been watching your business. I'm really impressed with it. Congratulations. Um, I think that I can help you grow your business." And I've done it before. This is what I do. And, you know, what I would, what I would love to do is buy an interest in your company. And I, and, and I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. If I can't buy at least 40%, it's not worth my time. But I said, do you want to own 40% of a $10 million company? Or do you want to, do you want to own 60% of a $10 million company or 60% of a $200 million company? 
And, uh, you know, they made the right decision. They, they, I came on board about 40%. And um, today, that come, today we, with that product, we've, we got really close to 1,000 locations, either open or in development. But I can, we came in there and did a complete makeover. We changed the logo. We changed the franchise, the, the FDD. I mean, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of road rash in the early part of that, early stages of that company that we had to clean up. And we were successful in doing that. But, it, it, you know, it's a good product today. It's a very good product. I'm curious, out of a population, you said, because you probably know the numbers pretty well off by heart. If you go into a town of, what did you say, 3,500, how many could you expect to get as clients? Well, you know what? It's about 18% of the population today were exercises. Okay. okay. About 18%. Now, now, that doesn't mean they all have gym memberships. Right. Okay? That doesn't mean that. They run, they bike. And, and, you know, exercise is such a relative. It's so relative. I mean, some people say, I walk. Okay, so hey, walking, walking is better than sitting sedentary in your couch. Nobody will deny that. But if you're walking and your heart rate never gets above 100, it's probably, look, it's great that you're up and getting the blood moving, but don't, that is a far different scenario than the person who's running 30 minutes on a treadmill, as an example, right? So just, so everyone's perspective of exercise, that gap is as wide as you can stretch your arms, all right? So, but the reality of it is today, Here's what's interesting. In today's day and age, um, loyalty within a health club is, is minimal. People will jump ship at the drop yeah. of the hat. Okay. Right. And they want diversity. Today's consumer, they want diversity. They want to do, they want the atypical workout, which is they go in on their own time. They, they do some weights, they do some cardio and they leave. All right. There's another group that says, I want to come in. I want to participate in a group fitness functional training class where I'm led by an instructor. They're going to push me to my limits. I want that. And then there's a group of people that say, I want, I want both. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a class a couple of days a week and I'm going to train them. So you've got this full gamut and you've, you've got to be able at the end of the day, the consumer gets the final vote. You and I can sit and talk about this all day long. Right. So let me ask you a question about, I don't know if you have that in your area. Have you heard a thing called buzz fitness or buzz fit or whatever? Never, never heard of it. So up in Montreal, we have that. It's like 10 bucks a month. But it's essentially um, like a big penalty to get out of the contract. So it's little to get in, but big to get out. Yeah. So is there a trend going toward this very low cost to get in and just sign a bunch of people up that never end up going? Yes, that's, that would be a, the equivalent. That's what, what we refer to as the discount model. And it's very prevalent in the planet, planet fitness type of product where they're paying, you know, they used to start out at like 10 or $12 a month. You know, I think now it's like $15 um, and, and they've got some other things you can add on to it. But yeah, that's exactly right. They want to sell eight, 10,000 memberships with the hopes that people don't use it all at the same time. And number two, that people don't cancel. And honestly, there's a moment of reflection there when people know that, I mean, you could, you and I could stop a hundred people on the highway today and say, raise your hand if you think exercise is good for you and makes sense. Every, every hand's going to go in the air. Okay, so there's a level of accountability that some people say, look, I'm not going to cancel my membership for crying out loud. It's $15 a month. I spend more than that in three days at Starbucks. Right. Uh, I'm not going to cancel my membership. I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm going to start working out. So there's a lot of people that belong to those discount players that don't cancel it. They don't use it, but they know that it's there in case they ever want to use it. Yeah, they, ra they rationalize that the 10 bucks does is worth the one time they go a month. Exactly. And 
they're going to go three times next month, but that never happens. I get it. Yeah. Or they do it January 1st until February, you know, March 1st. Right. And at the end of the day, it costs them 120 bucks a year. Who cares? Yeah. Got it. Question for you that I've always pondered in my creative uh, entrepreneurial mind is, is there a day when some of those machines are going to be plugged in and they're going to generate energy that gets put back into the system? Why do we not have machines that can generate solar electrical power? You see some of that right now. I mean, the, rea the reality of it, is it's cost prohibitive. Okay. It's cost prohibitive. And, and for the gym owner, he's probably better off taking his, taking those investable dollars and investing it in solar on his roof. You know, right. you know what I mean? Um, but you see, you see some of that stuff, putting a, putting an alternator on it where it generates electricity and then stores it. That, that becomes very cost prohibitive. It's kind of fun for the person on it, but probably pro we're probably not going to see that. And, um, and, and gym owners too, at the end of the day, they're a little bit hesitant to, sp to spend money on gadgety things. Sure. Sure. It's, you know, it's it, take one thing about opening a gym. It's very capital intense on the front end. Yeah. Right. I mean, once you buy the equipment or lease the equipment, sign the dotted line, you are all in and hope yeah. that it works. Yeah, for sure. It just seems like all this manpower of moving weight around, if it could somehow be harnessed, would be really good for global warming and all that stuff. Just curious. You know, I you know what, though? I love, from, from as a result of COVID, you know, Mother Nature, our planet has gotten healthier. Yes. So I think that, you know, we realize now that just the actions, our actions, we have to hold ourselves to some level of accountability because this was living proof uh, this is a snapshot of what three months of less toxicity that we all put into the earth as humans makes a meaningful difference, a material difference in, yes. and, you, and you keep, a, you keep, a, keep a mind about it. We haven't, we haven't experienced this probably in your and my lifetime. Ever. I mean, when we were kids, we didn't, I mean, we didn't even think about exhaustive cars and then they put in catalytic converters and you know what I mean? But it's our planet now where we realize that we've got to take care of her. Yeah. Right. She can't yeah. sustain this load every year after year after year without some sort of damage. I think she flexed her muscle and she said, listen, clean up your act or I can come at you again and I'll clean it up for you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's why I think, you know, and I hope that coming out of COVID that that's one of the lessons that we learned yeah. a certain level of accountability yeah. across the board. I mean, for sure. So a lot of people hope to get to a place where you're at, where they've been able to get some success, make a difference in people's lives, um, have a solid form of investments where money no longer is something you have to think about and worry about. What does somebody in your position start to focus on in your life? Well, real, real honest, Rock. I mean, up until I was probably 50, my whole working career, I was motivated by making money. Yeah. That's just the honest to God truth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and once I got over that hump of, you know, really making, making a lot of money, then I started to think about, you know, when people say money can't buy you happiness, the only people ever say that are people with money. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I always tell people, look, given the choice of being rich or poor, take rich and take your chances. Right. So, um, so I'm saying, look, be, having money is, is the way to go. But, but on that same breath, I tell them balance is meaningful. 
And, and that's where I'm at today that, look, I want, I want balance. I want balance with, with, with my family and friends. I want balance with my faith, with just, just, you know, not too much of any one thing and not too much of indulgence. Giving back means a lot to me. And I tell you what, the, anyone can give money. The real, the real um, surreal um, experience that I had was giving of my time. Uh, when, I, when I'm back in Miami, I'm, I, get, I get on my bike and I, I bought this little trailer on Amazon and uh, I go to some of the bakeries in my neighborhood and I say, look, what do you guys do with your day-olds, right? And, and in some cases, I buy the day-olds from them because they don't share the same uh, vision that I do and, and, and others, they give it to me. So I take that, I go to, I go to my local Publix, I buy a couple of cases of water and off into the hood of Miami I go. And, and I, 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 I get with the homeless and I roll up on them. I make friends. They have, they have no idea who I am or what I've done, nor should they. But I get up and I'm, I'm just wearing jeans and a t-shirt, you know, like I told you how I roll. And, and uh, I said, and I say, hey, would you like a cookie, cupcake? And I and I sit down with them, and 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 for those people I connect with, I tell them, hey, tell me wh what happened, how'd you get here? And it's just giving someone an ear. I'll tell you, I haven't met anyone, I haven't met anyone that that likes where they're at in that on the street. Okay, um, they're down on their luck and whatnot. So I make friends with them, and and subsequently, you know, it's so rewarding. And even when I'm when I'm around Miami, especially in around the grocery stores and where I live, every now and then I'll hear, "Hey, pistol," which a nickname some of my friends give me. "Hey, pistol," "Hey, pistol," and I'll turn around. It'd be one of the, one of the homeless people that I've met on the street, right? Which I think is so beautiful that just the fact that they that they feel like they have a friend in me. Um, and, uh, and I, and I too, I mean, I, I love hearing their stories and, and I hope that they can fight their way out of it. Wow. That's gorgeous. It's do good you, stuff, right? It's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. And we all should do more of it. I agree. Do you, do you think that these people, um, there's a portion of these homeless people that do have mental illness, I believe, but do you think that some of them just did not have a chance to get their shit together? Do you think it was a good component of that? Well, you're, I mean, the, the, you're, you hit it right on the head. The mental health component is a big part of it because without, without mental stability, you can't, I mean, you can't hold a job because you're yeah. just flaky. Yeah. And in today's work environment, you can't have somebody on your workforce that's complete flaky, flaky and, 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 and radical mood swings. That doesn't work. So for some of them, I don't know, you know, did you ever get your break? And I always tell people, look, you know what? If you sit around and you wait for your break, it doesn't come. You got to make your breaks, right? And you got to go get it. And I learned that lesson at eight years old, working for working at a little popcorn stand outside my dad's grocery store. And you know, he 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 hit me right across the forehead with just a great life lesson. And I I didn't I didn't know I'd be sitting here today, you know, some fifty years later, and and literally living that understanding that you know life is you got to go get it you got to make your breaks it doesn't happen no, the world doesn't owe you shit go get it right i mean at the end of the day your parents don't your parents you know theoretically speaking they owe you a roof over your head and they, they they need to feed you and clothe you to a certain point but this idea that that they're going to take care of you for the rest of your life and financially take you you know that's a lot of parents do that, and, and I'm guilty of that as well. But at the end of the day, I hope the lesson I've taught my kids is to get out there and go get go make something. Go make something of your life. 
Don't look yeah. at me. So is that what you learned from the, the popcorn stand is you gotta, you gotta go get the client? Yeah. Well, hell my dad, I mean, I was eight years old, literally. And, uh, scared shitless to be honest with you, eight years old, I'm running this popcorn stand. I could barely see over the counter and, and, and my dad knew exactly what he was doing. And, uh, one day he walks by me. I remember it like it was yesterday. One day he walks by me, walks about 40 feet past me. He stops, he pivots and he heads back towards me. And, uh, he stops, he said, Hey son, how are, how are sales today? And I was going to go into my eight year old dissertation of how sales were a little bit slow. Right. <laughs> I got about five words into it. He goes, son, it's slow because you're sitting behind the counter. You got to get out from behind that counter and go ask people if they want some of your popcorn. Right. So I said, okay, dad, right? After he left, I did. I, I munched up my courage. And, you know, at eight years old, going up and pulling on an adult's sleeve and saying, hey, would you, would you like some popcorn? I just popped it. And I mean, I'm, I'm being as convincing I can. And I, and I meant it. And I felt it in my heart. I, I look, I just popped it. It's fresh. It's delicious. You're going to like it. I was excited about it, right? Well, how do you say no to that? And I'd lead them back to my popcorn stand and they'd buy some popcorn. Well, my sales doubled, right? So that lesson for me is my dad, he couldn't have been any, any more on point. You can either watch things happen or let, let, let stuff kind of fall your way and take what you get, or you can go out there and make things happen. And that's, I've kind of fought like that my entire life. You know, I've got, I have, one of my favorite words is grit, right? And grit is something that I think every successful entrepreneur has because you need to have it. You, there's gonna be moments of unbelievable adversity and the, these character building moments where you're either going to be under your desk in the fetal position or you're going to spit in your palms and say, let's go. Right. Yeah. So fortunately I chose the latter. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me that you can have an event that happens when you're a child that becomes a lens that you see life through almost mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. Yeah. And it's great when it's one like you had, which is, you know, go after it, make it happen no matter what, be gritty. Um, grab life. But for those people that have done the opposite where they maybe pulled up on somebody's sleeve and said, would you like some popcorn? The person had a rough day and they turned yeah. and they said, get out of here, kid, scram. Right. And for the rest of your life, you, you interpreted that as I should never talk to strangers and ask them. For, right? <laughs> right. And Just, fortunately for me, that didn't happen. Right. right. I, I mean, there were, there were some people looking at me that, you know, with a scowl, but you know, I had enough yeses before I ever yeah. got a big no. But you also had a good mentor. You had a father that guided you. He didn't send you into a death trap. He sent you knowing that an eight-year-old cute kid asking somebody if they want popcorn is going to have a high probability of success. Yeah, and you know what? My father, he's, he, he was not, he was not the, both my parents, they did not hover. So they would, mm. you, they would let you skin your knees, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and, and, and then reflect on what, the hell just happened right? right and and that was that was it through our entire lives that you know that level of discipline now the other thing that my father it's interesting i sat with my father in his grocery store i got to watch him he owned the grocery store but at any given moment you would see him working the check the cash register stocking the shelves carrying out groceries or shoveling the sidewalk he put himself above nothing he did whatever it, and i tell you what he got people to just walk on fire for him because mm -hmm. he was such a team player and he, he would mm -hmm. never, he never put himself above anything. And that, that was my management style, my, my entire life that right. I said, look, I'm not, 
I'm not, I'm not above anything. I mean, I'm still that guy when, when, when I was working in my office as the CEO, if I'm, if, if, if I'm using the, the urinal and there's gum in it, I would yeah. actually grab a paper towel and pull the gum out because right. I know nobody's going to do it. I'm not going to go get right. the janitor. Right. I'm right. perfectly capable of grabbing this gun, right. but and I think you got to roll like that. You got to say well, that's leadership, right? It's right. being willing to do everything, and it's not a you're serving. You're serving all the time. You're adding value, and absolutely, and yeah, I agree a thousand. Up. I always ask yeah, people, sh- how do you want to show up? How do you want to show up in life? And it's, it's yeah. I tell it to my kids all the time, right? I mean, dig in. Yeah. I, I always talk about how do you want to show up, and then I also talk a lot about taking the hill. And, uh, and, uh, that to me is a real, that, that's, those are character building moments when you have to take the hill for those who can't. Right. right? And, you know, you think about, well, you think about, you know, like in the days of like Normandy where you're getting off there and you think about it, you're charging the hill and you hope to God that the thousand men beside you are coming with you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there are moments in our lives where we have to do that. We have to stand up for those that don't have the courage to, or don't have the financial means to, we have to be a voice to those people that where, where we can really make a difference. And I think that's true. If you've experienced any kind of financial wealth, I think it's true. If, if in social media, if you're an influencer, you've got to leverage that stuff in a way where to, to do some good, it's just not all about me, me, me. It's about, look, Thank you, God, for this amazing life that you've given me and put me, I, I pray every day, hey, God, put me in harm's way. Put me in the places where you feel I can do some good for you and mm-hmm. any good that I do, let them see your face and not mine because he has given me an amazing life. I tell my kids all the time, if I get hit by a car tomorrow, have a celebration because I've lived an amazing life, right? I didn't get cheated in any facet of my life, which and it's not that it's been all kittens, balloons, and butterflies, but you know, I take the adversity, I take the ups with the downs. It's all yeah. part of life. Yeah, really good, really great. Well, listen, um, if people want to learn about a franchise, connect with you, get some wisdom from you, are you are you active on social media? What is yeah, the best? I am, and I make it really easy for everyone. So to follow me, it's just a Peter underscore Taunton, T A U N T O N. And that's where I do all my posts. My posts go from Instagram, they float into my Facebook, but anything that I do, and when I, when I make a post, those are typical, typically motivational or entrepreneurial. But my, the, the stories that I do, that's me in everyday life. And that's an important perspective because that's where I try to show people what I'm doing when I'm not, when I'm not doing interviews or, or taking care of business, right? That's mm-hmm. an important thing too. When I'm out doing things with the homeless, I, I'll, I'll show them what I'm doing. And, and, and even with the homeless people, when I'm done and I've, and I've, we've had cookies and we've had water together, I ask them, are we friends? You know, let's say they got like, if, if, if it was you rock, I'd say, Hey rock, are we friends? And you'd say, yeah, we're friends. And I'd say, you mind if I take a picture of us and then I'll take a picture and I'll say, meet my new friend rock. And what I'm doing, I want to bring awareness to the homeless. I want to bring awareness to the fact of, you know, giving away cookies and cupcakes, it's not about that. It's about the social connecting that you're doing where you're actually taking your time and getting into the hood, getting dirty, right? Getting in the trenches. That's where all the magic happens. It's in the weeds, I'm telling you. I love it. I love it. Gosh, what a beautiful episode to have you come on the podcast. Let's end it off like this with, I like to ask my guests, 
to give me a few words that describe them, either how other people have perceived you or how you perceive yourself. I am. I am passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm a passionate guy. I'm really compassionate for people, especially the underdog. I stick up for the underdog without hesitation always. Um, I'm a hard worker. I'm, I'm committed to my causes. Um, and I hope people, I hope honestly, when, you know, the, when the day when, when I, when I die, that I hope that people, I hope my narrative is not that he was, you know, a, a successful businessman. And people usually equate that with finances, with money. I hope they say, man, you know what? He kept it humble. He kept it real. And he helped those where he could. I hope that's what they say. I think they will. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. What a treat. Hey, my pleasure. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to be Rock's private VIP mastermind guest. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.